Man, we've had some church this morning, amen? Ah, oh, so good, so good. That's, this has been an answer to some of my prayers, right? I've said for a long time that I, I long for our church to follow the presence of God. That uh, in the Old Testament, you saw how the Israelites would follow wherever the pillar of cloud would go, wherever the pillar of fire would go, the presence of God. If it started to move, they camped around the presence. And, and I love that. I, I think that's a model for us, the church, rather than camping around a sermon, camping around, this is the Bible verse for this Sunday, is we're just camping around the presence of God. And wherever the presence of God takes us, that's where we're going. An hour-long time of singing worship songs, let's do it. Um, if my message gets canned, I know, I'm not offended in the least. Uh, and so I love it. I love God's presence. It's way better than anything I could come up with. That's part of what my prayer was this morning is, um, actually this whole week, but I've been praying, preparing for this message. I was praying, Lord, you know, no matter how how much talent I put into preparing this message and how many, you know, points and sub-points and humor and all these things. It's not by my wit. It's not by my creativeness. It's not by my giftedness. It's by your spirit, says the Lord. And so that's just been my prayer. And so praise God, he's answering prayers, uh, that the Holy Spirit is moving in our midst. And so I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so where we are headed this morning... Um, uh, if you remember last week, I always kind of do Sunday school trivia with you guys and see if you guys remember. Last week we talked about um, accepted to be accepting. And we talked about how we've been accepted into the beloved and how we need to have that same characteristic of Christ in us. And uh, this morning I had, uh, for this morning's Sunday, uh, I had a, an idea of where I wanted to go. And then as I was preparing for our baptism service and reading different verses, I was like, you know what? I think we definitely need to spend a Sunday morning talking about baptism. And when I say that, there are several in this room that are already baptized. Maybe you were baptized decades ago. And you're like, you know what? I already know about that, Pastor. But I know that in this room, you are mature enough to know that no matter what, if you've read the Bible from cover to cover, there's still more to learn. There's still more to apply. So even as we talk about maybe some fundamental things of our Christian faith, there are things that I believe each one of us in this room can learn and apply to our lives. Um, part of what I was sensing during worship, I was like, man, if I just got up and just read a Bible verse, and I could just pick any random verse, and the Lord would just move. It wouldn't take me or anything to do anything. Just the Lord is in this place. And so I thank God. I don't have to have a really good message right now. I can just read you something about baptism, and I feel like the Lord's going to speak to you. Um, but I also know that we get to partner with that. That, that it could be most of us in this room are sensing the Lord is here, but there can be some of us in this room that aren't hungry, and we can come in, and not be changed or transformed at all. And so I'm going to, I know we just prayed a lot, but I'm going to pray, I promise it'll be quick. I don't always say quick prayers. It'll be a quick prayer that we're each one of us, you're going to partner with me, that we are going to learn something new today. No matter what the pastor says, no matter if he's read a verse I've memorized when I was five years old, I'm going to find something new about it today. I'm going to find a way to apply it to my life. And I guarantee if that's your attitude, if that's your prayer, you will leave here with some revelation. Amen? So let's pray that same prayer. Jesus, we want revelation. We want a newness to your word to be applied to our lives today. So we ask Holy Spirit, help. Do what we cannot do. Bring spiritual insight and feed us by every word that proceeds from your mouth, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so talking about baptism. Why should we be baptized? Why should we be baptized? Why should we be baptized? Why, B, 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 why am I saying that? Why should we be baptized? Um, Mark 16, 16. Jesus, in red letters in my Bible, says this. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. 
So fundamentally, there is a link to your salvation. You want to go to heaven? Be baptized. This is Jesus' last statements recorded in the Gospel of, of Mark. This is the Great Commission. This is when he's about to be uh, ascended, right? He's leaving earth, and these are the things he says. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. There's a link to your salvation. If you want to go to heaven, be baptized. So why should you, why should you get baptized? Because if you want to go to heaven, get baptized. That's very easy, point blank, right? Why should you get baptized? Because it's in red letters. Jesus said so. Your pastor didn't say so. Jesus said so. We'll go through these really quick. Uh, look at another gospel, Matthew 28, 19. Jesus says this, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So who should get baptized? Everyone, all nations. Everyone should get baptized if you believe, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you say, I want to be a Christian, then you should get baptized. This is just kind of plain and simple basics of Christianity, that baptism is a part of what you do. It's your, actually, it's your first step of obedience. That if you're making Jesus, I love this, it's going to heaven or Jesus saving you, there's two parts, right? When you ask, when I was five years old, I asked Jesus into my heart. My kindergarten teacher led me in a, in a prayer. But part of what she explained to me was that Jesus died for your sins. And if you don't want to go to hell, then you have to accept that Jesus died for your sins and say, forgive me, Lord, and then you'll go to heaven. Basic gospel. And I was like, yes. But what I learned over time was that I didn't want Jesus just to be my Savior. He also needed to be my Lord. He had to be the master, the one that I submit to over and over again. Not my will. His will be done. So it's this twofold thing. Baptism represents both. That you are so, it's, a, um, it's proclaiming your love and your loyalty. I so love that Jesus died for my sins and took care of the sin issue. I'm not going to hell because he loved me so much and he gave himself for me. So as an act of love towards Jesus, I'm going to get baptized. But it's also this significant declaration that I am loyal. I am proving my um, allegiance to Jesus. Um, if you talk about baptism, kind of in the American Christian culture, baptism, I find that it can be like, yeah, it's something I did when I was a little kid, and it's kind of, yeah, it's just kind of a cute little thing we do. But if you look at baptism throughout the last thousands of years, or even if you look currently in the Muslim world, baptism was actually the sign of true commitment. It's easy to say a prayer in your home all by yourself with nobody watching and saying, Jesus, forgive me my sins. But it's another thing to go tell your family that's a different religion and say, I'm going to go get baptized and declare my allegiance to Jesus Christ. Oh, you could be beheaded for that. So baptism is something that sometimes we in the American church, we just kind of think, oh, it's a cute little thing kids do. No, actually, it is a profound commitment that we are making, saying, no, Jesus is the Lord of my life. I am switching my allegiance. I am no longer the master of my life. I'm making him the master of my life. So this is kind of going through really quick. Why should you get baptized? Who should get baptized? What, what is it? So what is it? Um, what is baptism? It's an immersion. I'll say this. I keep saying kids. I know for me there are some people that came from maybe the Catholic tradition. And you are baptized as an, as an infant or a child. And you're like, well, I was already baptized. Great. I'm not trying to say anything against that. But I want to give you the biblical model. The biblical model, the word is baptizo, which means submersion. 
So I do believe, according to God's word, you should be submerged in water, not just sprinkled. And, and can God do all kinds of things? Right? We talk about the need for being baptized. It's obedience. At the same time, all things held together, there was the criminal on the cross next to Jesus. Was he ever submerged in water? No. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He believed while he was being crucified and he was never water baptized, and yet he went to heaven. So throw away all your doctrines and all those other things. It, Jesus gets to supersede any of our doctrines, and I love that, because Jesus is perfect theology. Sometimes we, we separate on Sunday mornings based off of, well, my church believes this, my church believes this. I just like to say, what did Jesus do? Whatever Jesus did, whatever Jesus said, that's my theology. He's perfect theology. So he broke the rule that you don't have to be baptized to be saved, so guess what? He can break the rules. Because he's Jesus. But there's this word, I saw the slide go up. Baptizo, immersion. So in Greek, there's this word bapto. And um, I'll go through the slide. Bapto means to dip. So you dip yourself in water and come back out. or what, It doesn't have to be water, whatever it is. You dip yourself and come back out. It's temporary. Whereas baptizo means to soak. You submerge. You go all the way under and you soak. And that's permanent. So for the example, I don't have the quote for you, but 200 BC, before Jesus was on this planet, 200 years before that, there was a Greek poet who was just writing down poetry, and we have it today. And he talks about, in Greek, bapto and baptizo, and he's talking nothing about the Christian religion, but it helps us understand. He says, if you want to make a cucumber a pickle, what are you talking about, pastor? First, you bapto it in hot water. And then you baptizo it in vinegar. What does that mean? I do that yesterday. I, I washed some fruit. I quickly rinsed it under some water to make sure some dirt came off. That's very different than soaking a cucumber in, was it brine, vinegar? I don't know how to make a cucumber. But it transforms that cucumber into a pickle. It's a different thing altogether because it was submerged and it got transformed because it was permanent change. So even this Greek poet before Jesus is using this language. So when Paul, when Jesus are using the word baptize, they are talking in a community. They understand it's not just a temporary thing. You are making a permanent decision. To get baptized isn't something you do as a little kid because your parents say so. It's actually your own personal choice. So I'm saying all this to say this. If you were baptized as a kid, I'm going to encourage you. Maybe it's time to get submerged to make a permanent decision. Maybe it's time to get baptized again. I love there's people in this room that have been baptized, even in the Christian religion. They were submerged in water more than one time. And it wasn't just as a little kid. As a young adult, they were walking with the Lord. And a season of their life, they were not walking with God. And as they came back to Christ, they said, you know what? I need to re be rebaptized. I'm like, yes, you do. I have no problem with that doctrine. I have no problem with that. Why? I'll even go back, because it's even more biblical. Jesus got baptized, right? We'll talk about that really quick. Why did Jesus get, he, had to, he didn't have to get baptized, did he? I mean, he never committed sin, so why did he get baptized? I'll get there in just a second. But you see him going to John the Baptist, who was a Jew, and people were getting baptized in the Jordan River. That was nothing new. In the Jewish religion, people got baptized. It was something you would do maybe more than once. In fact, the priests... It probably was connected to the idea that priests would baptize themselves or wash themselves with water before they would do anything in the temple. 
Over and over again, they baptize themselves. Am I saying that you should be baptized every day of your life? Okay, I'm not saying you should come up into these waters every single day of your life, right? But the idea is I'm trying to get that just because you got baptized as a kid doesn't mean you are disqualified to get baptized again. It was something that was commonplace in this Jewish religion. John was baptizing people. They were already a Jew. They already served Yahweh. But he's saying, no, you need to repent of your sins. There's something specific that you are disobeying. And as a result, you should get water baptized and proclaim that you're no longer going to listen to that pattern of life anymore. You are changing the way you're going to walk. So show it. Testify that you're going to be a different person. So we'll get to that. Jesus. I love this. So we talked about what Jesus said about baptism. Then Jesus' perfect theology, he got baptized, right? So in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it says this. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and setting upon him. All right. Really quick, I could go in a thousand different decorations. Different de- decorations? Good golly. Directions. I can go lots of different directions. I've preached on this passage on specific things before. But in baptism, the first thing you see, Jesus says to John, his reply is, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. If Some of you in this room, maybe that's all you need to go home with. Not specifically to being water baptized, but the Holy Spirit is saying something to you. There are things that should be done in your life to require all, right, to to fulfill all that God requires. See, God's not okay with you doing most things right. He's actually a God that requires everything. Jesus is this perfect theology. He's like, you know what? I don't need to be repenting of sins. I've never committed a sin. But I have to fulfill all that God requires of me. So I will submit to something that doesn't make sense logically, but I'll submit to it because it's what God requires. Can I tell you, that is a huge part of my testimony. I've shared with you becoming the pastor here. I I wrestled with God. God, it does not make sense. Like, I'm not the qualified one. I'm not this one, right? But I just submit to what God requires of me. I don't have to lean on my own understanding. I don't have to rationalize it. I don't have to to understand it. I just have to fulfill what he requires. And the scary thing is, as Christians, as followers, we should be asking, God, what are you requiring of me today? That should be our daily prayer. God, what are you requiring of me today? Scary prayer because he likes answering those ones. And it often often tells me things I don't want to do. But like Jesus, I must require, I, I must fulfill all that he requires of me. If I want to be a Christ follower, I don't get an option. I get to take a deep breath. Okay, God, your way, not my way. I, I use even Jenna, she led us in that time of worship. I think about her life, right? My testimony, her testimony. She's the last person that wants to be in front of people. She doesn't like it. She never asked for it. But yet she continually just, okay, God, what are you requiring of me? You want to be on the worship team? What? I, can I, t- I, I say this as a testimony, but I don't say it as a slam. I say it as a, right? 
The first time she ever came into this sanctuary, as a high schooler, one of my friends, we were not even dating then, um, she came in, she could not hit a, the right note if she required of her, right? I, I can remember, I've shared this before, I would go to the, the Nowicki household and they would sing Happy Birthday, and everyone was singing a different note, and I had no idea, like, wait, who's, wait, where are we singing, right? She's the last person that should be on the worship team. I'm not saying that as a slam. I'm saying that as a testimony to you. There are things that in your life you might say, well, I'm not gifted in that. That's not my personality. I have no interest in that. And God says, who cares? Will you fulfill what I'm requiring of you? Like I said, this was not even an important part in the message this morning, but the Holy Spirit says it is to some of you. I didn't get the title of this morning's message. Put off the old, put on the new. The idea of baptism, the idea of being a follower of Christ is you continually get to put off the old and put on the new. There's times I, I, I say this, or I give my wife a hard time, I'll give myself a hard time. There's times that I call her Aunt Sandy because all my kids call her Aunt Sandy. There's times Aunt Sandy tells me, it's time to put on your pastor shoes, Ryan. I'm like, yeah, but I don't like the way they fit. Like, it looks awkward. They're way too big, and it's not my style. It's not who I am. And it's like, yeah, but if the shoe fits, wear it, right? It's one of those things where I have to put them on. It's not something that comes natural, innate, that I've said a zillion times, and I'm trying not to say it anymore because it's not true, but I've said it before that I'm, I used to say, my old self used to say, I'm not a natural-born leader. I used to get away with that, or I tried to. And God's like, yeah, right. You might think that. You might feel that. But the truth is, I've called you to be a leader. I've equipped you with pastor's shoes. I get the choice to put them on or not. There are things that Jesus has put in your life, and you have the option to put them on or not. You can wear the old you, or you can wear the new you. He will not. He re, there's things that he requires but he'll never force. And I love, again, Jesus' perfect theology. I don't need to do that. But the Lord is telling me, my Father is telling me I should do this. And I love that in his obedience, what happens? It says the heavens open up. It's amazing that when we obey, blessings flow into our lives. And it's amazing that when he obeyed what didn't make sense, but he fulfilled what was required of him, he became this target that the Holy Spirit rested upon. You want the Holy Spirit? You want to be a target, a neon light pointing to you? Obey. Submit. This is not on my notes, but this came in my early morning prayer. I don't think I even said it with the prayer team, just in my own prayer time. Psalm 51. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not ignore. There's someone in this room I'm saying this for. Some of you, you might feel like God is ignoring you. God, where are you? God, how come I can't hear your voice? Wouldn't you just talk to me? Like, tell me what to do. And it's amazing he says, a broken and a contrite heart, he will not ignore. It's amazing that when we are broken to our old man, when we die to ourselves, when we give up all of our rights, when we give up all of our desires, and we just submit ourselves and say, God, I will obey 
no matter the cost. It's amazing that he's not ignoring anymore. You are now this target that he can't help but just flood the Holy Spirit upon you. Jesus, again, perfect theology. He's the example. In his obedience, he became the target of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And I want to say this. The Holy Spirit was already in Jesus. Right? Read, read the beginning of the Gospels. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary, right? Behold, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, right? And you will have a, a child, and the Holy Spirit's going to birth this in you, and, right? Even John the Baptist, still in the womb, recognized the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus, still in his mother's womb, right? The Holy Spirit was in Jesus from day one, from conception. But there was something significant about his obedience that the Holy Spirit came upon him. Many of us in this room, the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. He is in us. But there's something different when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I don't want to be satisfied with just the seal of my salvation. I hunger and thirst for the Holy Spirit to rest upon me. For the anointing of the Holy Spirit. To actually do what Jesus did. As the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, that's when he began his ministry. For 30 years, he was a good man, doing good things, never sinned once. But it's amazing when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he received power. That's what I want us. You've heard me say this a thousand times in the past year. I'm not content with just your salvation. If that's all you want is just to be preached to the gospel and just for people to get saved here, you came to the wrong church because I care about discipling. I care about us actually growing and maturing and actually becoming like Jesus in all ways. Like I said, man, I'm just stuck on this. Jesus' perfect theology. Anything Jesus did, we are supposed to do. I'll say it this way. Anything Jesus did, I am going to do. Yeah. We look at these things, we see, oh man, Jesus cast out demons. Yes, so are we. We're supposed to. Jesus healed the sick and he raised the dead. Yet so are we. But it comes in this idea, man, putting off the old and putting on the new. The idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. The idea of getting rid of the spirit of man or flesh and putting on the Holy Spirit. All right, really quick. I'm going to go through some verses super quick. Yeah. Super quick. Uh, all right. Colossians 2.12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. There's this idea that when we are baptized, according to God's word, that we were buried or we were dead. And we're going to read a whole bunch of verses really quick that talk... Paul's talking to the Colossians, he talks to the Ephesians, he talks to the Romans, he talks to the Galatians, and we're going to read, hopefully really quick, all these same things he says over and over again. That when you are baptized, what you are doing is you are dying to yourself, or you are crucified with Christ, under the water, and you are resurrected with Christ into new life. So really quick, like I said, I can just read scripture, and I think the Holy Spirit can do what he does. So I'm not even going to break down some of these scriptures. So Romans 6, 2 through 4 says this. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? 
Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. That was to the Colossians, to the Romans, now to the Galatians. Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. One more. Romans 8, 9 through 11. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if you are not, and if you are not joined to the Spirit of the Anointed One, you are not of Him. Now Christ lives His life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, His life-giving Spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. That was last week. You are fully accepted by God. Verse 11. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. I'm going to keep going because scripture says it better than me trying to explain it. 2 Corinthians 5.14. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. All right, one more, one more. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. There's this idea that someone in this room, I knew it in my heart, there's someone in this room that needs to get baptized this Wednesday. There's already a handful of people that are getting baptized this Wednesday. But I felt like this morning, the Lord wants to, convince or to encourage or to remind some of someone in this room that you should go through the waters of baptism so this message is for you but it's also this message is for everyone else in this room that has already been baptized that needs to start living like you're baptized stop putting on that old man if you were baptized it says you died to that old man and anytime that old man comes up, you have to remind yourself, wait a second, that's not who I am. Like I said, when I used to say, I'm not a natural born leader. Yeah, that was the old Ryan. I don't get to say that anymore. That old Ryan, it died. And now I'm a new creation. I love that word. I wish I could keep preaching on all of this stuff, right? New creation, it doesn't mean that you are just renewed just like you were, but now you have no sin. Actually, this new creation means you're altogether a brand new being that's never existed before. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus thinking his rational mind, how can I go back in my mom's stomach? It doesn't make sense, Jesus. He's like, no, spiritually, you need to be born again. You need to be born into new life. There might be someone in this room that you've never been born again. You are just in a cycle of trying to do good things. And it's amazing that when you just die to yourself, Jesus gives you new life, and it's actually not the same struggle. When the old man comes, it's not like, I'm just trying hard not to live that old way anymore. It's like, wait a second, no, that, that person died. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. I'm a new creation. 
when God looks at me, he doesn't see the old man anymore. Because that old man is dead. He sees the new one. It's amazing. When I come into God's presence, he says things about me that I've never thought about myself before. He says things that don't make sense in my mind. I'm like, wait, who are you talking about again, God? He's like, Ryan, don't you remember? You are a new creation. You are still discovering who you really are. Some of you need to discover who you really are. You are saved, but you keep walking in this old man, this old life. And he's saying, would you discover? Oh, man, okay, really quick. I'm going to go over. We're already over, right? So we're going over. It was in my notes, Ephesians 4, but I want to get to Ephesians 3. So really quick, Ephesians 4 talks about this old man. So I'll read it really quick so you have the reference. Ephesians 4.21 says this. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. This seems blasphemous. If this was not written in God's word, I might question the pastor that says it. But it's God's word. He says, put on your new self, which is to be like God. Holy, righteous, doing the miraculous. It's amazing when I read the New Testament, you see there are people that see Paul and Barnabas. And they think they're gods. I don't think I've ever ministered to somebody and they thought I was a god. I'm not trying to be worshipped like a god. But I'm praying that I get to that point where I become so like Jesus. So fulfilling the new Ryan that I'm supposed to be. That people are like, who is that guy? He doesn't seem human. Yes, that's what I want. I want for all of us to live that way. Where it's, what is going on? And so I'm saying that because I wanted to get, I don't have the slides for it, but in Ephesians chapter 3, it talks about this, uh, it's a whole, uh, let's see if I can get to it. Sorry, I know I'm over, but I'm trying to get to this one last point. All right. You can start pulling up Ephesians chapter 3. I think we have in the Passion Translation. Um, let's just do it. We're, you, guys, you said you're okay, so if you need to go, you can go. We'll just read a big chunk right here. <laughs> Ephesians 3, 9 through 19, right? Ten verses. Here we go. My passion is to enlighten every person to this divine mystery. When I read this, I'm like, yes, that's inside of me. I have this passion, not for people just to know how to get to heaven, but to actually understand divine mysteries. That's me. Paul's saying that. I'm like, yes, that's me too. It was hidden for ages past until now and kept a secret in the heart of God, the creator of all. The purpose of this was to unveil before every throne and rank of angelic orders the heavenly realm, God's full and diverse wisdom revealed through the church. We'll just stop there, actually. There's a whole lot more after that. Paul is saying there is this mystery that's been in the heart of God and it's just now getting to be revealed. Paul's saying, I'm beginning to open and scratch the surface that God wants to reveal his glory through the church. The manifest wisdom, that word manifest, is this multifaceted, this way that there's no end to the beauty, 
to the new discoveries of God's glory, of his power, of his might, of his kindness, of his generosity, of his gentleness, of his awesome power, right? All these things, he wants to reveal this mystery through the church. And he says, for what purpose? To reveal it to the angelic realm. That gets weird all of a sudden. Wait a second, what? It's talking about how there are angels and demons that don't understand things. But they are watching the glory of God come upon you and me. And they're like, wait a second, God can do that? I, I think about this. There are angels in heaven that are probably, this is again, this is just Ryan. Not, not word for word from the scripture. It's just my thoughts. I think there are angels in heaven that look on humanity and they could think this way. God, why in the world would you love and enjoy such stupid and foolish people? Like, you've created a lot of different beings, but these are probably the most self-destructive, like, idiotic people. Like, you, you tell them, choose life, and you put life before them, and they choose death. Like, what is wrong with them? Like, angels are like, what the heck? Is, like, God, really, this is your plan? Like, you died for these people? Like, Okay, that's one line of thinking. Then I think there might be other angels, or maybe the same angels in a different breath, that say, God, look at these humans. Out of all creation, you chose to put your very spirit inside of them? Angels don't have the spirit of God living inside of them. You and I, we do. And they see us like, wow, what would it be like to have the great I am, the God who was and is necessary to be inside of your very being, to be the temple of living God. And they see humans are like, how do they live such discouraged and defeated lives? Like the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in them. And they're living with their chin to their chest and moping and complaining. How could that be? There's angels that are just trying to figure this out. And I, heard, I read this one commentary, and i got to read it to you. The church is the university of the angels, and every believer is a professor, teaching the heavenly realm the mysteries and wonders of the grace of God. The angels investigate through your life the treasures of grace. That's an amazing commentary. There are angels that are looking. I look at my dad's life just recently. If you didn't hear the story, my dad went through a horrible car accident just a few days ago. And it is a sign and a wonder that he's not sore or has a bruise or a cut anywhere on him. The car totaled, right? That's a sign and wonder. That's miraculous. I believe there were angels around him. I believe that was not just pure luck or fate. That was angelic intervention. At the same time, there are angels that are looking in our lives that are trying to learn about the grace of God. They don't get it. They don't experience the same grace that you and I do. The Son of God did not die for angels. So they're trying to figure out, God, how does your grace work? Like, your mercy triumphs over judgment. How does that work? Like, that doesn't make sense, God. And they are fascinated with our lives. Yes, they have the power to protect us, and yet... They're trying to learn from us. Like I said, side tangent, but I just, I feel like someone here needed to know that. Wrapping it up, we're already 10 minutes over. 
as our worship team comes back up. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Because I feel like I just kind of shotgunned at a few different things. But I love that the Holy Spirit, ah, this thought came to my mind in early morning prayer too. Jesus came to Saul on the road to Damascus. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the goads? And I remember reading as a kid, like, what the heck is he talking about, right? If you go back in the story, it says that Saul had watched the very first martyr, Stephen, be stoned. It says Paul was holding the garments. He probably authored that to happen. And he witnesses Stephen praising God, saying that he sees the Son of God while he's being stoned. And there's something that begins to convict Saul. And the Holy Spirit is all in pursuit of Saul. And this kicking the goads, that's what horses would do when they would get prodded or whipped. They'd say, ah, stop. They wouldn't yield to the prodding. They would kick against it. Well, I don't want to go that direction. Stop kicking me. But the owner just kept prodding and saying, no, this is the direction we're going. And Saul is like, yes, inside my soul, the Holy Spirit has just been convicting me over and over again. And I felt like the Lord is doing that to someone in this room this morning. Maybe it happened already during worship or maybe as we close the service, it didn't matter what the pastor preached this morning. The Holy Spirit has been after you. And he's saying he wants all of you. He wants complete obedience. He doesn't want you to play religion. He doesn't want you just to have a ticket to heaven. He's saying today is the day. I've been prodding. I've been doing things specifically in your life and now it came together all together on this one day where you get to respond. And as we respond, I'm going to give you, I think there's more than one person in this room that needs to respond. There might be someone in this room that needs to be water baptized. Come talk to me, please. Don't leave until you talk to me. There's someone in this room that maybe you need to be born again. You need to be crucified with Christ and raised to new life. You need to know you have this desire to experience real life. Today is the day of salvation. There's some of you that you got that seal of salvation. You know your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But today you are hearing these words and you're realizing, I am not living a new life. My days tend to run into the very next day. I don't have much purpose. I don't have much direction I'm not excited to wake up in the morning. And God is saying, today is the day you put on the new man. You start discovering the new creation that you already are. Or maybe it has nothing to do with what I just said. You just know between you and the Holy Spirit, you need to respond. Any of those categories, if that's you, I'm going to count to three, and the count of three, if don't just do what other people are doing. Don't not do because nobody else is doing it. But on the count of three, if you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, would you just stand in response? And God can sort out who you are and what he needs to do in your life. But it's amazing how it says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, if you do something in response, you will be saved. It's the link of both. Belief has to be there and a response. That's baptism. A response. So count of three, if that's you, stand.
One, two, three. Stand. And for those of you that are standing, I'm going to pray a prayer for myself, but you make the prayer your prayer. Don't just think that I'm blessing you with a prayer. Make it your very own. Let's pray. Jesus, we recognize today, I recognize that you are the Savior of the entire world. But even more specifically today, I recognize you are my Savior. I cannot save myself. I don't have what it takes. My good works are not good enough. So I yield and I submit my life into your possession. I believe in my heart that what you did on the cross, you did it for me personally. That my name was on your lips. That you were thinking about me 2,000 years ago as that nail was piercing you to the cross. And I receive the love that you have for me. I receive your forgiveness. And I crucify my old self with you. It is no longer I who live from this day forward. I don't get to call the shots. I'm not in charge of my own life. You're the master. You're the savior. I give you my life. Everything I am, everything I'm not, I'm yours, completely yours. So take my life, take all that I am, take all that I'm not, and do something beautiful out of it, God. Do something above and beyond anything I could hope, dream, or imagine. I want to be excited about life. I want to leave here different, with a renewed mind with a renewed attitude, with the mind of Christ, with a breastplate of righteousness, knowing who I am, knowing whose I belong to. Would you reveal to me fresh new perspective of where you're taking me, of how I can be of influence, of how I can be busy about your business. Today, just as the day Jesus was baptized was a profound day, today is a profound day for me. As I obey, as I respond and fulfill what you require, I from this day am living under an open heaven where your goodness and mercy and favor are going to follow me all the days of my life. And primary, more important than any other blessing, is your spirit is upon me. From this day forward, I live with a full awareness that I need you, that apart from you I can do nothing, that I'm not enough unless you come, that it's not by my might, it's not by me trying harder, it's just by your presence and your spirit, saith the Lord. So I live from this day forward with a renewed mindset that I need to be freshly anointed every day of my life. I need your spirit. So fall afresh. May I be a target for you to fall upon. Come fill me afresh and anew today. Creating me a clean heart, oh God. 
filled with clean thoughts and right desires and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. The joy of the Lord is on me. The spirit of resurrection power lives in me. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.